Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 8, What Are Little Girls Made Of? From the Blue Planet, in an unremarkable corner of the Milky Way, it's another episode of The Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, John Champion. And I'm your other co-host, Ken Ray. When you join us each week on Mission Log, you're part of our ongoing mission to watch every episode of Star Trek ever, and then discuss what's going on, what lessons we might have picked up along the way. We like to get out from behind the wheel We kick the tires, we check the oil to see if Star Trek still holds up and if the messages are relevant today. On this episode, Kirk meets a brilliant but, I'm going to say brilliant but brilliant scientist, though some might say brilliant but mad scientist who plans to create a breed of androids superior to humans. It's what are little girls made of. What are little girls made of, Ken? I don't know. Circuits and gears, apparently. I don't know. What pulse points and everything in this episode. Hey, before we start on the show, though, um, let's remind people that they can reach out and touch us, or at the very least, reach out and get in touch with us, uh, by Twitter, at MissionLogPod is the way to do that. At MissionLogPod is a, a great way to fire off uh, 140 characters or less and have us hit you back with the same. If you want to email us, MissionLog at Roddenberry.com. Mission Log at Roddenberry.com. And we got a swanky, swanky website, missionlogpodcast.com. Or if you want to go truly old school, John. <laughs> you can actually call us. Crazy. You can pick up the phone and you can call 323 522 5641. That is also our Skype number, Skype Mission Log Pod. And remember, whatever you say, could be used on a future episode of the Mission Log. Yes, but it may not be. All rights reserved, yeah. void where prohibited, not available in um, well, places, well, places without <laughs> phones, I guess. No, we're, we're good with Kansas. Are we? we? Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Some of my best friends are Kansas. Oh, look at you. <laughs> so progressive. <laughs> All right. So what are little girls made of? I know one of your favorite things is, is, is trivia, is yes. coming up with trivia. And yes. and I love that you do it because it saves me from having to. Uh, well, I, the the first piece of trivia is the most obvious piece of trivia. Look, it's Lurch. <laughs> Lurch. No, no, of course. I mean, Ruck, the giant seven plus foot tall uh, alien android. That is, of course, Ted Cassidy. No relation to Jack, Sean or David Cassidy. Um, but he is best known for playing Lurch on the Adams Family. And uh, boy, is he huge and mean in this episode and a great voice. Man, he had that baritone. Yeah, he's got a crazy voice. I'm not sure it's fair to say that he's mean, though, but we'll get into it. Well, he, he, he's got some programming that he needs to overcome. <laughs> he's got some issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this episode was written by Robert Block. Robert Block wrote the novel of Psycho. So the, the, the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho, Robert Block was the one who wrote the novel that the movie was based off of. And I thought that was super cool. Um, this is uh, not quite as bloody as Psycho. Shall we say? Um, but I don't know. It, if you ever saw the bottom of that pit. 
Yeah, well, it could have been pretty nasty. Just full of red shirts. I would, Im- I would imagine so. Speaking of which, I love this, and I learned this actually in mm-hmm. a uh, in a uh, in a shirt shop. I'm glad you have it on here. Um, oh yeah. Okay. I, I was in a shirt shop recently where they had some Star Trek T-shirts, and it actually listed um, the red shirts from the original series and how they died. Yes, and and number one is falling down or being pushed by Ruck down into that ravine. Yeah, which is kind of neat. Now, as we've discussed on previous episodes, it was only because we didn't have red shirts yet that we didn't see the red shirts die this way. I mean, all the way back to, I don't think in the cage, but I I know certainly in the man trap, there were a couple of of guys who should have been wearing red shirts, actually three or four who should have been wearing red shirts. I mean, they just bought it so quickly, but... uh, yeah. Do, do you think that maybe it was like a costume shortage? And, uh, you know, you never see Scotty so far in the same scene with a red shirt getting killed. <laughs> so maybe there's like, hey, Jimmy's not on set today. Let's take his shirt, put this guy in it, and then throw him down the ravine. That's nice. That's very – so you don't think <laughs> they were actually planning on killing anybody? It's just like, eh, we got time. We got a shirt. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah, everybody else is in the the gold and the blue, and you know they're kind of front and center. So now we can push these guys off to the side, literally push them off to the side. And one other thing, I, I found this interesting that um, this script, uh, even though written by the great Robert Block, uh, was in really rough shape. And uh, apparently, they started filming before it was truly finished and approved, and they ran late in production. Uh, the ending had not been written yet, uh, but when we get into the story, when we get into our discussion, I'm going to say that they pulled it all together. And I'm going to say that the beginning of the show looks a little rough, but that's for the whole production discussion at the end as well. But there, I mean, I did not realize that based on the trivia that you're giving me, but now, you, now that you say it, I can totally see it. <laughs> now you know. Well, I mean, I, well, ugh, we're jumping ahead. Let's Let's not do that. Let's, let's, Let's go in a nice, uh, orderly fashion. Please uh, keep all hands and, and articles inside the ride as we continue. From Metropolis to Small Wonder, if movies and TV have taught us anything, it is this. Androids are not toys. So what are they? And what are they when they become something more? Entering orbit around XO3, Nurse Christine Chapel is concerned that they find someone on the planet, her fiancé, Dr. Roger Corby, preeminent scientist, last heard from five years ago. Most of the crew holds little hope of finding him alive as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. Corby is alive, thanks to a series of underground dwellings left by the original inhabitants of XO3. He's glad the Enterprise is there, though he'd like Kirk to beam down alone, please, since Kirk may need to make an important decision without outside interference. When he hears his fiance is on board the Enterprise, though, he agrees to have her come down as well. Planet side, Kirk and Chapel find no Corby waiting for them. Alarmed, Kirk calls for two red shirts who will fill that red shirt bill in short order. He leaves one to guard the entrance and takes the other with him into the depths of the planet on a path that winds around a seemingly bottomless pit. It is in this pit that one red shirt will meet his fate, tossed in by an alien that looks like Lurch from the TV show The Addams Family. As John mentioned, mostly because he's played by Ted Cassidy, the actor who played Lurch on the TV show The Addams Family. The red shirt is deemed dead by Dr. Brown, a colleague of Corby's and friend to Chapel, though he doesn't recognize Chapel right away. Kirk sets up security protocols with the red shirt upstairs, though these are never enacted as Lurch says, well, he lays waste to him pretty quickly. 
leading them to Corby Brown recounts Corby's philosophy that freedom of choice and movement produce the human spirit. And he says the former inhabitants of XO3 proved this when they went underground, thanks to a decaying sun, their culture became very mechanistic. But they knew things that'll revolutionize life as we know it. Further down, they meet Andrea, a member of Corby's party. Corby and Chapel reunite, smoochy-smoochie. Corby meets Kirk, no smoochy-smoochie. Kirk tries to contact his red shirt at the entrance, but gets nothing. Tries to contact the Enterprise, but Corby, Andrea, Brown, and Lurch try to stop him. In a struggle, Kirk shoots Brown, killing him and revealing him to be an android. And that is a lot for Act 1. Act 2, Kirk contacts the Enterprise and tells them everything is fine, though it's not Kirk, it's Lurch, whose name is actually Ruck. Ruck is an android more complex than Brown, built by the Old Ones, the original inhabitants of XO3. Ruck has been programmed to protect Corby and his work, thus the imitation and killing the red shirts. Corby says he has a lot to show Kirk. Kirk wants to know why he has to be a prisoner to see it. Corby says Kirk would just tell somebody what he saw, and that would end up being no good. Andrea, meanwhile, quizzes Chapel about Corby, who she calls Roger. The familiarity irks Chapel, though Corby convinces her that there is nothing emotional to his relationship with Andrea, for she is also an android, just a machine programmed to do his bidding. Kirk says he wants to know more about what's going on, and Corby sets to answering his questions by building a Kirk-based android. Act 3. In a sequence sure to make some lose their lunch, Corby's crew gets to work on Kirkbot. Turns out making an android is a lot like making spin art. Having made an exact physical copy of Kirk, Corby sets to transferring Kirk's memories and thought processes to Kirkbot. During this process, Kirk starts hurling invective at Spock, who is not there, telling him to mind his own business and saying that he's sick of his half-breed interference. Then it's time for lunch. Andrea serves Chapel and Kirk. Asked by Kirk whether she could betray Corby at Kirk's order, Chapel asks that he not make her choose. Then Kirk is revealed to be Kirkbot. Kirk, the real one, quizzes Kirkbot and finds all of his memories are there. Corby says he could have gone further, though, and uploaded Kirk's soul, his very essence, into Kirkbot. And this, he thinks, is man's ticket to immortality. The elimination of disease and hunger and, hey, who knows, maybe programming jealousy, greed, and hate right out of people. Kirk fears, though, that we would lose our humanity as a result. Corby would like to continue his experiments anyway, so if Kirk wouldn't mind taking him to a colony with the proper raw materials, i.e. people that no one will miss, that'd be swell. Unwilling, Kirk gets the drop on Corby and flees. Corby orders Ruck to protect, shorthand for kill. See also red shirts from earlier. Oh wait, you can't because Ruck is already protected against them. Chapel orders Ruck not to kill Kirk, though Ruck, seemingly oblivious to her order as in pursuit, Ruck catches up to Kirk and forces him to the edge of a bottomless pit. Kirk is barely able to hang on, and we are left with a literal cliffhanger as we head to commercial. Act 4. Ruck did hear Chapel, and he does save Kirk. Back on board the Enterprise, Kirk tells Spock that they'll need to make preparations for Corby, his people, and his things to beam aboard. Quizzed about this by Spock, Kirk hurls invective at him, saying, "'Mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your half-breed interference. Do you hear?' Spock does hear. While he does not know that this Kirk is an android, he knows something is amiss and makes plans with security to follow Kirk down to the planet without Kirk knowing. Kirkbot reports back to Corby, saying that he's found a decent colony for Corby to continue his work. Real Kirk, meanwhile, starts making out with Andrea, appealing either to her emotions or any lapse in her logic. Kirk then does the same with Ruck, except without the kissing, leading Ruck to the conclusion that Ruck's old ones came to fear their machines, began to turn them off, and so the machines had to eliminate their makers as being illogical, inconsistent, and unprogrammable. It doesn't take much for Kirk to lead Ruck to the same conclusion about Corby, and Ruck sets out to kill him, only to be felled by Corby's phaser. 
Kirk and Corby begin to fight, and in the struggle it is revealed that Corby is an android. He'd been near death, had transferred his memories and consciousness into the Corby bot, and is, as far as he's concerned, exactly the same. In a bit of identity confusion, Andrea, now programmed to kill in Ruck's absence, kills Kirkbot, thinking she's killing Kirk. Kirk says Corbybot's perfect world is not perfect, and while Corbybot argues that it is, the tests he runs to prove that perfection make him sound less human and more like a machine. He cannot feel, you see. Andrea, meanwhile, expresses what she sees as her love for Corby, an idea Corbybot rejects since she is not human and cannot love. Corbybot kills them both. After a passage of time, Chapel decides to stay on the Enterprise, and we are on to other adventures next week. Let's just get it out of the way right away. Yeah. That, uh, there are some great moments in this show for a Shatner stunt double. <laughs> I, I mean, some of that fighting is great with Ruck picking up Kirk and flopping him around like a rag doll. Yeah. That is some terrific stunt work. I would actually like to know how strong um, Ted Cassidy was because this was not one of those things. You know, how sometimes in stupid shows, you'll see where it's like, um, you know, somebody is supposed to be picking somebody up, but they're obviously being hoisted by wires. Oh, yeah. I yeah. did not get that sense with Ted Cassidy. No, not at all. Now, it's possible that Shatner at the time was 110 pounds wet. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I mean, I, I was like, wow, how did Shatner actually not get hurt on the set of this episode? Because I know you're talking about a stunt double, and certainly when Ted Cassidy tosses somebody across the room, <laughs> right. that's not Shatner. But the first time you see Ted Cassidy pick up Shatner, that's Shatner. Yeah. And how yeah. he did not end up with something broken is kind of, kind of mind-boggling. It's remarkable. Yeah. And uh, speaking of remarkable feats of physical prowess, um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I don't want to get hate mail for this. I just, I, you know, we're going to be as polite and, and as um, uh, progressive as we can about this. But I just have to say that Sherry Jackson is uh, remarkable looking in this episode. You know, she is. She's quite fetching. Here's the thing. So if, if I were to put myself at Desilu in 1966 while production was going on, here, here's the conversation that plays in my head. Um, and I'm just going to say that somebody like Gene Roddenberry walks down to uh, Bill Tice's office. Bill Tice, of course, was the um, uh, costume designer. And he just walks into Bill's office and he says, hey, Bill, um, we have this hideously bizarre unisex uh, half green, half blue jumpsuit. I'm so sorry, but we have this incredibly gorgeous actress. Can you possibly do something with this? And Bill Tice says, can I? And then the next day, you have the sexiest costume ever made to appear on Star Trek. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah. That's, 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 that's you know, I'm going to stay out of trouble. Where, where, where you've <laughs> apparently decided to not. And oh, I, no, no. There, there will be no trouble avoiding over here. It's, no. not, a, it's, it's not a bad um, it, it's not a bad costume. Yeah. No. <laughs> and she wears it well. And there, that's yeah. that's the most I'm going to say. Uh, well, that's all that needs to be said. And by the way, we're seven episodes into Star Trek now, and uh, there's another Kirk double. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're running out of ideas here. <laughs> no, it's kind of, well, I mean, it's it, it certainly. Um, well, I mean, it's certainly a scary thing, and, mm -hmm. and you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but. Um, I wish I had looked this up beforehand. What year was the Manchurian Candidate made? Uh, was that 64, I believe? I don't know. But this whole idea of you can be replaced with something else, I mean, go back a few years to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is not exactly replacing somebody, but it's kind of replacing somebody. You're not you at this point. I mean, that seems to be yeah. 
a recurrent theme in, in science fiction. It's, I mean, it's a scary one. I mean, I don't, I don't blame anybody. You know, right. it's, 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 right. it's kind of a freaky idea. Hey, that's not me. What, where, where's me going? Or where's not yep. me going? So, oh, uh, and, and by the way, Manchurian was 1962, and oh, okay. uh, I, I'm going to surprise it actually occurred before the Kennedy assassination. I well, yeah, that was I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, what's his name? Old Blue Eyes? He sort yeah, of uh, he Frank. sort of felt a bit. Uh, I don't think it was responsible, but there's all there are all these stories that he you know felt a certain amount of guilt about the Manchurian candidate and then his mm-hmm. his friend um, Jack Kennedy being assassinated. Yeah. I got to say, there's this one little thing, and it's I I've watched this show three or four times now, getting ready for this episode of Mission Log. Yep. Uh, I love this one thing though. Did I hear right? The planet that Kirkbot finds for Corby to continue his work is, <laughs> is called Midas Five. Yes, I, I I missed it the first three times I watched it, and then the fourth time I went, oh wow, look, it's Midas Five. Yeah, hats off that's, to Mister Block because that's yeah. so awesome. Because you know yeah. the whole Midas story is, oh, he gets everything he wants, everything he touches turns to gold, and it turns out that's not actually a good thing. We are told in the story that if uh, Corby actually gets what he wants. Oh, things are going to go poorly, and 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 you know, it's then you get into the whole uh, robot versus human, or or android versus human, or artificial intelligence versus intelligence thing. Of okay, well, you know, you can touch all of these things, but can you actually touch all of these things? Right. I love when you come across something that's like seriously, it it reads like a throwaway line, but then I mean, there's just so much. Ah, this is this is an incredibly incredibly rich episode, I think. Is there a difference between thoughts and memories that are made, and thoughts and memories that are manufactured, and is there a place in human society for both? So at the very beginning here, Ken, I think we've got a big, fat man versus technology story. To me, that couldn't be more obvious. Um, you have you have whoever the old ones were on XO3, and you assume that they are biologically developed uh, uh, creatures of some sort, but they were outgrown and then overtaken by the machines that they created. Um, and, and it is kind of a survival of the fittest thing in that respect, that the robots were designed to be a more perfect version of the old ones, of the creatures that were there. And then their creation got on a hand now and see, destroyed them. You see, and and you say it's uh, incredibly obvious, but I, I, I kind of want to disagree. <laughs> really? Well, see, uh, here's the thing. I think there's a lot going on in this episode, but I think that's one of the, uh, uh, one of the big things here. Yeah, but is, 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 man versus, is man versus his own technology then man versus technology or man versus himself? There actually seems to be a theme here resurrected from the cage. Um, when the inhabitants of XO3 went underground, they kind of quit, right? I mean, they yep, developed yep. machines to do their work for them, um, but otherwise they kind of quit. The Talosians uh, developed their mental powers instead. So mm-hmm. it, it seems like, and, and we hear this actually from Brown as he's leading uh, Kirk and Chapel down down uh, down to the depths of the uh, the depths of the planet. The idea seems to be getting up and getting out and doing. Maybe taking missions to seek out new life forms, new civilizations. I mean, these kinds of things are, are key to society's growth. Staying inside all day leads to no good. So even if you like, you know, develop your incredible brain powers, like like they did in the cage, or mm-hmm. if you come up with amazing robotic stuff, like uh, like like Corby does in this episode, or or rediscovers amazing robotic stuff from ancient civilizations, as Corby does in this episode, right? Um, staying inside instead of going outside and playing 
uh, just it's, it's oh it, it's it's a road to ruin. Well, you know, Corby is pretty set on going outside and playing. The only problem is he wants to go outside and play with an army of perfect androids that take over the universe. Oh, oh don't don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that this is, Cor- <laughs> this is not Corby's problem. This is the the problem of the people of XO3. Right. The people right. of XO3 went underground because their son was dying, and I don't blame them, you know, for doing that, but it sure. led to ruin. Yeah. They came up with a bunch of robots who, you know, uh, we're going to take care of them. The problem is uh, human beings or, or uh, biological life forms uh, tend to be a bit capricious as far as, a, as far as a logical mind of a robot is concerned. And so mm-hmm. the, uh, the masters, the makers, the old ones had to be done away with. Right. And, and if maybe if they had taken their newfound roboticism and, and, and taken it outside instead of saying, Oh, the well, bath's a little cold. Can you run it again, or can I please have some more tea? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if instead of treating the machines as 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 servants, if if maybe they had you know not sat and wanted to be pampered, not wanted to stay in one place, but had tried to figure out, okay, well now we have this awesome technology. How do we get out of this cave? How do we get out of this layer? How do we get out from underground? If instead of just sitting there and enjoying what they had, you know, they had actually gone out, it might have been better, uh, certainly for the for the androids, and it would have been better for the exo. What are we calling them? Uh, the yeah, we'll, call them <laughs> we'll call them the old ones. It's good enough for rock. It's good enough for me. And that's a T-shirt, right. by the way. Right. Well, but here's the thing about the androids, at least as Corby is creating them. He, he's mapping their brains. He's mac- mapping the, uh, the, the synaptic joints, if you will, into those androids. Mm-hmm. So um, – I don't know if there was something different about what the old ones were doing with the androids because that sounds more like the old ones were just creating androids from whole cloth and programming them as they would. Right. But then then the old ones were separate. They they still maintained whatever their biological bodies were. Right. And the androids are something entirely different as opposed to what Corby is doing. And it seems like – as a matter of survival, if that's what the old ones were planning, is we're going to put our brains inside these android bodies, then they can go up on the surface, they can go do all these things, and, and a piece of us will still be there. Now, you see, I never got that sense, actually. Oh, well, neither did I. I'm just saying that, you know, that I, I think there's two totally different approaches here yes. to, to what uh, the, the old ones were doing and what Corby is doing. But obviously, the technology was there for Corby to use. I don't know that the technology was there from the old ones for Corby to use. I mean, Corby's been there for a while. He found a way. He found a way to make an android and upload a person to it. It seems, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which he tried with Brown to um, a limited success, I would yeah. say, <laughs> yeah. and then and then tried uh, with himself to to much greater success, I would say. Although maybe not, you know, maybe not hundred percent successful. Yeah, Brown, no fun at parties. <laughs> no, not at all. But that's okay. He's going to be around for five minutes. Andrea, probably more fun at parties. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's programmed to do your bidding. So, you know, and, and of course, I'm talking about things like, oh, we're out of canapes. Andrea. Yes. Don't don't get yourself in trouble here, Ken. Right. Um, so, well, here's a question for you. Are we saying something here about Starfleet that Corby is so nervous about the appearance of the Enterprise? Uh-oh, here comes Starfleet. They're, they're going to get in the way of what I'm doing. Um does Starfleet have a bad track record here with scientific discovery that he would just assume that no matter what they discover, they're going to take it over. They're going to shut him down. Clearly the guy needs to be shut down. So is that just a, uh, a self-preservation move? Oh, I think so. 
I don't think yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with how Starfleet is. I think Corby knows, you know, that what he's doing might not fly with what's the word I'm looking for? People. Oh right, yes, people. Because yeah. the idea is, you know, your human body is not going to be um, really what you're going to inhabit from now on. I mean, what he's aiming for is more immortality. What he's aiming for is the end uh, end of uh, you know disease and famine and jealousy. <laughs> I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, and that's where it gets a little hinky. When you say yeah. to somebody, oh, no, this is great. You're not going to be hungry and you're not going to get sick. And those things are awesome. And by the way, you know that you know that, that thing about your personality that you don't like? Well, we're going to take that out too. Oh, you like it? Well, we don't. So we're going to take that out too. Right. I mean, this is where he gets a little – I mean, Corby's not dumb. I don't think, I don't think that Starfleet has a, necessarily a bad rap for, you know – quashing science i think it's more like people tend to not like to be replaced by machines and gears which if i hmm hmm well well, you're back to this kind of idea about uh, you know if we reference um where no man has gone before here's a a man Mm -hmm. corby Mm -hmm. although it is the robotic version of him but playing god he gets to decide what those personality traits are. He gets to decide what is a positive trait, what's a negative trait, and form his world and ultimately the universe in his image. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes and ah. Ah. Okay. (laughs) Here's the problem. Okay. Lay it on me. Well, he's kind of doing that maybe. I mean, he Mm -hmm. only says that we might one day be able to program these bad things out of people. Mostly what he's talking about right now is uploading consciousness to a machine, right? Yeah, as a survival method. Right. He he was damaged, yeah. Initially as a survival method. That's how he did it. That's why he did it. That's certainly not – I mean that wasn't the plan, Right. I mean, the plan was actually to get Kirk down to the surface by himself. I think we can assume. It's not stated, but I think we can assume the plan was to get Kirk down to the surface by himself, not Kirk unconscious, make a Kirk bot, send the Kirk bot back up to the Enterprise, and then, you know, go about the business of, of you know, recolonizing Midas 5 right. with androids. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were still going to be people, though. That's the th- I mean, it's it's... Uh, the, it, the whole idea of machine intelligence, you've got a note in here that says, uh, if we're getting closer to real artificial intelligence, will we be able to tell the difference? Yeah. All right. Um, first of all, the idea of real artificial intelligence kind of hurts my head because okay. that's you know, paradoxical. <laughs> Second, I, I actually think we need to get rid of the term artificial intelligence. If we want to call it manufactured intelligence, if we want to call it machine intelligence, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But – I don't think we can call it artificial intelligence because that that sort of sets up a like a like a like a primary secondary kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's necessarily fair. Now, as far as the whole thing about putting somebody's memories into something else and how are people going to deal with that, I think not well. I think that's why Corby kind of freaked out, right? But I had the or, or Corby thought you know freaked out when he thought the Enterprise was coming when he thought Starfleet was coming when he didn't want anybody to know you know what right. he was doing. Um, I had the I had the, the the great pleasure I would even almost go so far as to say honor of interviewing Ray Kurzweil several years ago before um, before his book The Singularity is Near. Hey, it was a singular pleasure if you know what I mean. Oh, uh, it was, it was um, I think it was uh, the Age of Spiritual Machines was the book that he was uh, talking about, and he you know said a few things like in the next. 
20 years, I think, from now, I don't remember what it was then, but in the next 20 years from now, uh, machines are going to um, claim consciousness and we'll have no choice to, but to believe them. Okay, so that was one thing. And the other thing is he sees a time when we're going to be able to upload ourselves either to a mainframe or to a you know, robot or you know, to mm-hmm. some sort of positronic net, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I did ask him that question actually about, okay, so great. So, so now everything that I am is in this machine. I'm still here. Right. <laughs> right. What happens to me? And, and you know, because it seems to me that, that we've either we've, – we've got one or two problems. Either there are two of me running around or we're going to have to get rid of one of me. And he kind of stopped and smiled for a second and said, the transition is going to be difficult for some. <laughs> and, you know, it was a great way to, to you know, to say, well, yeah. you know, once we're done with the meat, we're done with the meat. You know, which I guess uh, – I don't know. There's something – Corby was absolutely wrong except was he? <laughs> well, <laughs> OK. But, but that's kind of what I was getting at with these questions that, that were coming into my head is that, OK, if you are able to perfectly map mm-hmm. your brain mm-hmm. and all the functions of your brain into, um, into an artificially constructed device, you know, a, a computer, a, an Android, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so that device can mimic everything that you do, and it can mimic consciousness. Mm-hmm. But is it really you? Uh, it, you know, uh, are, are we saying that that again, consciousness is, is just a function of the biology, or in that case, the mechanics of all of those synapses firing and all of those memories that come together to define you? This is an excellent question. Thank you. And, and, and one that honestly makes this a, just a fantastic, fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious um, in the writing of this episode that the answer is a copy of you is not you. Yes. But this could well go to um, the paranoia that we feel of doppelgangers, of body snatchers, of Manchurian candidates, of, you know, it's me, but it's not me. Right. Well, yeah, and, and Corby's problem here is that he's remember he's not just making a copy; he's going in and he's changing the copy. Well, you know? he's talking about possibly going in and changing the copy, but he hasn't gotten yeah. there yet. As far as he knows, Corby is Corby. As far as Corby is concerned, he's still himself. Right. right. And the until is, Kirk catches him on it. Yeah. Well, okay. If he does, <laughs> I'm sorry, we don't know Corby. We don't know who Corby is. We don't know what he's about. We don't know how he would have answered that question. I've known plenty of engineers. I mean, I don't mean like engineers like build stuff, although I've known some of those too. I mean mm-hmm. like, like radio engineers. I, God, I miss radio so much for so many reasons. Part of it is just the characters. I have <laughs> never met – no, I take it back. I met one radio engineer who would, who would pass as normal. Okay, and the rest of them, God bless them, because I I mean, I love the way their minds work and I love the fact that they do what they do and they keep all of the machines humming, you know, tiny bit touched. And so Corby (laughs) may well have been that. I mean, he may well have. Dude, you've listened to me for the past seven episodes of this show or six episodes of this show. Plus this one, I stop halfway through a sentence and get caught in logic traps. And I'm fairly (laughs) certain that I am not a manufactured person. And yet. That's just the way my mind works. We don't know that Corby's mind didn't work that way either. But there is, there's, there's a uh, – I see. And this is where I start to sound, well, crazy by today's standards. There's a chauvinism about manufactured intelligence versus intelligence, it seems to me. So you think uh, Christine Chappell and her uh, you know, young freewheeling days would fall for a guy who says, I can calculate, I can equate, 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> we all have our moments, John. That's we all do. I'm saying. We all have our moments. If, if we're going to hold the test of whether or not what he has done is successful to this one 30-second, you know, getting screwed up. Although at the same time, Corby is just as, is just as um, prejudiced against machine intelligence as, as, as the humans are. Mm-hmm. Because when Andrea comes to him and, and expresses her love for him, well, you're being stupid, because you're a machine and you can't love. And right. so I guess, you know, uh, that means that, that Corby, now because he is a machine, he also can't love. And so he does them both then. I don't, I, I don't necessarily know. And this is a horrible, horrible thing, I guess. Except that's just, that's just programming talking. I don't necessarily know that there's a difference. Yeah. Uh, theoretically, yeah. it seems to me, there ought to be a way to know every next move that I'm going to make or every next move that you're going to make. Now, the problem is we don't have the processing power and we don't have the necessary data. But everything that goes into the very next thing that I'm going to do is, has, been, has been built by everything that's happened to me before and everything that I've done before and every sensory input that has come before, right? Yes. We're a series yeah. of choices, it seems to me. And, 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 and if we knew and a series of inputs – if we knew all of that information, we should be able to predict what's going to happen next. And right. then we should be able to uh, replicate it. The only thing is you're talking about so much information and so many inputs and so many things that we don't even know. Heck, maybe there was a loud noise outside my apartment building when I was two years old that has affected me for the rest of my life. Who knows? I mean there's just so much stuff out there. But to assume that one kind of intelligence manufactured is, is, is less than – Ours, because ours, though it though it inhabits a though it inhabits a, an organic matrix, um, is still manufactured. It's still been made of everything that's happened before. It's not made by man necessarily, but it, it's still a manufactured intelligence. And so to say, you know, well, well, this one is stupid because mm-hmm. we know how it was made, and this one is superior because we don't. I don't. I, I, I don't know what the answer to that question is. This is one of the reasons, though, again, that I love this episode because there's just so much there to pick apart. Unless we're going to go the way they went in the episode, which is just to say, no, that's wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what happens in the episode is they're looking for this defining human element. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, Kirk portrays that with uh, the, the kiss with Andrea. Uh, lucky him. And, um, and then they get to play this out again in the, the confrontation with Corby. And, and they, don't, they don't necessarily put their finger on it, but they, they say, okay, with Andrea, she's not programmed for love. Love is something she doesn't understand. But with Corby, we have downloaded his entire uh, uh, brain, his existence, everything into this robotic shell. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still gets tripped up on basic humanity, you know, compassion, um, his ability to relate other than just seeing Kirk and Nurse Chapel as uh, things in the way of what he's trying to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so sort of like a salesperson or a politician, maybe? I think exactly like a politician. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, seriously, it's not like we don't know people like this. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I mean, which may sound horrible, but it's not like we don't know all of us know somebody who has no use for us except for the use that they have for us, right? True, true. Yeah, but there, there is there is a history there with Chapel, 
and yeah, they try true. they try desperately to drag it out of him, but he just can't do it. And, yeah. and he realizes himself, oh, wait, I'm not the human that I was. I'm something different. And yet you could argue that he actually still is that human because his plan is to get Kirk down to the planet by himself, kill him, replace him with somebody else, and then go and populate the universe with robots. It's the logical thing to do if you're Corby. But when he hears <laughs> Chapel's voice, yeah, the robot Corby is touched. He's excited. And he is willing to screw up his entire plan because he wants to see the woman that he loves. Mm -hmm. So was it a complete failure? Well, he, he got mean, to see Chapel. Yeah. He, well, no, I mean, he's there. He's partly <laughs> yeah. there. Now, yeah. at the same time, it seems to me that there are a couple of other things. And I don't know that these are the, the overriding um, messages, but there are two messages that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like we might be being warned against faith in any one person because of who that one person is or what position that one person holds. Um, Corby's request is idiotic. Would the captain of the starship please beam down by himself into an <laughs> unknown situation? And everybody's like, well, that's stupid, but it is Roger Corby. Right. I mean, and, and stepping out of the timeline for a second, Riker would still be laughing yeah, if, if somebody yeah, yeah. had said, "Hey, Picard, could you just you know beam down by yourself? Don't worry, it's all good." I mean yeah. that 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 doesn't fly. And and but the thing is, everybody's like, "Well, it is Roger Corby, so maybe I'll do it." Had Kirk done it, of course, um, we would have ended up with a robot war in our hands, theoretically. Although it's possible yeah. we just would have eventually all been replaced by robots. Yeah, no, it, it, you never ever defer to the argument from authority. That, that's what's going on here. The, the, uh, Corby is the authority and there's respect. And if you're saying, well, we should respect his wishes just because he is an authority. No, you, right. you can't do that. And, okay. and there are all kinds of, you know, yeah, Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Penn State ickiness. And, yeah. and to say ickiness is really to downplay how absolutely terrible that was. And for a number the, the of horror. years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute mm -hmm. horror. And for a number of years it went on. Why? Because, you know, these guys were like, you know, the end all be all as far as this one area was concerned. The, 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 the pedophilic priest that gets moved from parish to parish. There are lots mm -hmm. of times where we say, well, this is who this is. And so even if things seem hinky, it's OK, because this is who this is. So it must be fine. I'm not sure it's an overriding message, but it was definitely one thing that I picked up on. It's like, oh, well, you know, everybody's willing to – it's like Santa Claus. I mean, Corby is treated like Santa Claus in this episode. You know, Santa Claus would never do anything or the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, if you want to. <laughs> I tried to think of the one thing that could never hurt us, and it was Roger Corby. And it turns out he nearly started the Butlerian Jihad. And I'm hoping, yeah. I, can, I, can, I'm hoping I can mix like at least three other science fiction, you know. <laughs> Good job on that. Yeah. yeah. Ideas nice. uh, yeah. In, into this one thing. Um, we see early on that things have gotten away from Corby. Yes. Corby says that, uh, Ruck killed the red shirts was totally against his wishes though. He really didn't want that to happen, but logic told, uh, told Ruck that that's, you know, what had to happen, uh, yeah. for the greater good. Um, this is wrong, of course, or anyway, yeah, I, no. you know, I think it is. I, I, I agree. No, I, I think Corby basically said, go kill those red shirts. Yeah, well, oh, I yeah. see. I'm not. No, you see, I disagree. I don't think Corby really? said go kill those red shirts. I think Corby set up a system where he said, OK, this is the most important thing in the world. Ideally, Corby is about intelligence. Ideally, Corby is about humanity. Ideally, Corby is about life. The problem is maybe because he's uploaded himself to a machine or maybe just because he spent too much time underground, uh, what he's willing to do to to protect 
what he considers life sort of ends up going against that. And and to bring that to today, we tend to have these things here that we like called um, trial by juries here in the mm. U.S. anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and for the know, most part. In developing parts of the world, hopefully. Yep. In some cases, though, we've let those go, especially when we're, you know, holding people who want to kill parts of our way of life that we like. People who would seek to take away little things, say, like trial by juries. Now, these things have become so important that when somebody wants to try to eliminate them or when, you know, somebody says that somebody wants to try to eliminate them, we say, okay, well, then they need to not have that. It's this thing that we hold up as, you know, the most dear and it's so dear that if you try to wreck it, you don't benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a message of the show? Probably not, but it was something else that I picked up. What Corby prizes is intelligence and life and everybody getting to go do their thing. But if you get in his way, well, then, okay, mostly what he prizes is intelligence and life, but not yours. Yes. If you stand in his way. And that ends up being obviously one of his major failings as well. Yeah. There are many failings, though. Well, the, the power has gone to his little robotic head. <laughs> you were just you were just so bent on not liking the robots. Dude, embrace him because you never know. All right. I welcome our robot overlords uh, with know. open arms. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say overlords. Uh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. So power has gone to – please, go ahead. Power has gone in, to his in, little In 150 years when we're doing this show from uh, uh, the confines of our uh, robotic shells, then yeah. we'll, uh, we'll revisit this conversation. <laughs> See, you say it like it's going to be a bad thing. By the way, just to wrap up this whole thing, I want to point out that from a uh, writing, a production point of view here, I think ending the show with a murder-suicide on primetime TV in 1966 is pretty daring. You do not see that every week. Now, yes, they are robots, and you can justify it with that to say that they're robots, but that's what happens. Andrea goes in for the kiss with Corby. He pulls the trigger of the uh, Cage-era laser pistol that she's holding, and they both evaporate. Um, that's a pretty dramatic ending. It's pretty powerful. It is. I mean, the, um, the fact that they evaporate also does help, I think. I mean, you're sure. right, because they're robots. And so, okay, well, then you don't feel so bad because, you know, there are car crashes on TV all the time. How are you going to feel bad about that? Yeah. Um, but then also the fact that they completely vaporize. Yeah, there's no ma- uh, no nasty mess to clean up, but uh, I, 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 I still I still felt a little bad, totally. and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that Chapel felt a little bad too. Totally awesome, by the way, to see um to see the cage uh, phasers back. Yeah, I think yeah. they are they're just beautiful little machines. They are. It was neat to see that again. It was sort of like it was like seeing an, it's like a, seeing an old friend, yeah. <laughs> who you I knew agree. for maybe forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You with the gray matter, and you with the circuitry, let's talk message, and meaning, and whether this episode is one for the ages. So every week on Mission Log, we like to ask ourselves a couple of questions. We want to know if the show holds up as a production, and we want to know if the messages hold up into the 21st century and beyond. So uh, Ken, I think I already know what you're going to say when I ask you if the production itself holds up what do you think uh there are parts i like and parts that i don't like at all um 
the editing felt really disjointed in the very beginning of the episode. I, I don't know if they wrote more than they wanted or if it goes back to the trivia that you were talking about where they weren't quite finished with the script when they actually started filming it, which is brave, mm-hmm. by the way. That is both brave and bold, if anybody is wondering. Yep. Um, so that feels a little disjointed at the beginning. At the same time, I mean, there are parts – would it survive today? No. Is it the best uh, produced episode of Star Trek? No. But as far as, you know, just the meat, as far as the story, as far as the, the stuff that you get to play with, if you, if, you, if you actually take out all of the pieces and play with it, um, then in that case, yeah, it holds up just fantastically well. Yeah, I, I agree. You've got a, a few problems here just sort of front and center. You've got uh, this cave set that is very intricate, but it photographs a little fake. Yeah. Actually, it photographs a lot fake. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've got that problem. And then you've got – I love this effect with Kirk and the uh, uh, Kirkbot on the spinning you know, uh, dance floor when they uh, uh, create the robotic oh Kirk. Like, I, I think that's a very cool effect. It's a, it's a simple idea, but it's a good one. Uh, but then the computer that they're using that Andrea is using to actually create RoboKirk is uh, – you know, it's just giant knobs and they make kind of – very amateurish sound effects when she turns them. So a, a lot of that stuff really does not hold up well at all. But, but. <laughs> I can't um, believe, wait a minute. You think the way they actually made the Android holds up? Oh, no. I, I think that having the spinning wheel, just the idea of having, uh, you got naked William Shatner on one side and you have this blob of foam goo on the other side right. and just the idea of saying okay well this this spins around and then poof it becomes a robo kirk yeah. I, I think for, for the time i i think it's great i i think wow. that's kind of a, a great idea i think the computer off to the side you need to see andrea turning the knob and it goes bloop 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 i like that that, that drives me nuts i think you know? i think maybe it's okay because it moves and it's there's just nothing about it that makes that make a robot as far as i'm concerned Oh, and, it and, makes and no in fact, sense watching it made me want to hurl. <laughs> and I joked about that earlier in, in, in a you know, scene that's sure to make some lose their lunch. The fourth time I watched it, I finally knew not to look at the screen <laughs> because it's seriously – and I'm not generally speaking a motion sickness kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't understand. It's like so we're going to put him on this wheel and it's going to spend 60 miles an hour. And right. somehow that's actually going to instead of making him, you know, fly off, especially the pile of goo. The pile of goo yeah. should have just hit the wall, <laughs> right? But instead, the pile of goo stays right there and somehow, you know, magically turns into Kirk. I'd have rather seen like a, you know, like a. And this is real geekery. I apologize, but I'd rather have seen him go into a tank or something and come out as two. Not a not a tank that drives around and shoots things. Obviously, yeah, no, I know what kind of more tank. like yeah. a yeah. a back to tank. Yeah, yeah yes, yeah, yeah tossing them go. all in from all over the place, man. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I, I think it's it's a cool, effective little <laughs> moment there. Right, I think I'll, it's cool. I'll uh, let Ted, you watch Ted, that next time. Then there you go. Uh, Ted Cassidy's quilt that he's wearing. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's imposing. You know, he's yeah. a big guy, but but he's also kind of cuddly. <laughs> so you know. Um, so what I'm saying is, yeah, there, there, there's good and bad here in terms of the production actually holding up. Um, I, I think overall the acting is solid. There's some great chilling moments. I love the bit where uh, Chapel sits down for a meal with Kirk and they're having this one-on-one conversation. And then the big reveal when Kirk says androids don't eat and he pushes the food away. That's yeah. a great line. And that's yeah. a great scene. 
So moments like that really make this hold up. Now, let's talk about the message here, because we went into this episode thinking, well, what are we really going to find? And as you, our audience, are aware, we found a lot. Yeah, I don't know that there was one message, um, mm-hmm. which I, it, which I kind of like the episodes best where we can say, I don't know that there was one message, you know, because there, mm-hmm. there were several. I mean, as far as the whole trusting somebody just because of who they are, eh, you know. You don't, I mean, you, you want to think that you can trust dad. You want to mm-hmm. think that you can trust, you know, you want to think that there are people in the world that you can trust. And I, and, and certainly I hope that there are, there are people that I trust implicitly, mm-hmm. but this idea of just, you know, if somebody said, you know, somebody, I don't know, you no, know, go play in traffic. Really? I'm your dad. Of course it's going to be fine. I mean, there, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should let you answer that question. What do you think? What, like, what were the primary messages as far as you're concerned? And then do they hold? Well, I, I really like that we do talk about the uh, the authority figure here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like you said, that's not the main point, but it is a very good point, and that's what got everybody into trouble. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, it, and fortunately, they didn't take it as far as he requested, sending Kirk down by himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is still something here that that's very Star Trek, and, and that is. You know, again, finding that essential piece of humanity. And I, I love that, that you and I have kind of approached this from different angles because uh, I, I haven't read uh, Ray Kurzweil's book, and I'm glad that you have, and I'm glad that you've talked to him, and you have a very different take on this than I do about <laughs> what that means when humanity and technology kind of merge. When we get to that point, you know, where potentially you can download your mind into a computer. Yeah. Um, But I think there's something very essentially Star Trek about this that is the thing that we call humanity and our compassionate human selves is something else. And that's how that's how uh, Robo Corby, (laughs) Corby bot gets tripped up. Um, So is there a message there? Well, I I, I don't think there's necessarily a message. yeah, that, it's really tough to pin it down to one thing, but it, but it is a great exploration of that whole idea. I, I think it's an awesome exploration of that idea, it what is. we do with technology and what it means to us and what it means to our essential human element. It does strike me as an excellent, excellent exploration of that idea. I guess the one thing that I wish, and, and, and probably, I would hope anyway, if this were being written today, that it might be left a little bit more open-ended. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. to me that this examination ends with, this would be bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not 100% certain, well, I know not everybody is on that page anymore. I mean, uh, Kurzweil is running a Singularity University, which, you know, is not, eh, I've got questions about that. But I mean, it, obviously, not everybody is on the same page on this anymore, that maybe if we end up inhabiting robot bodies at some <laughs> point, which I know sounds goofy to say it and you know, you're 2000 Huffington, Maybe, uh-huh. you know, inhabiting robot bodies or computer bodies at some point. I mean, it, it sounds horrific, but there are some people who are on that page. There are some people who are saying, yeah, this would be, you know, this would be kind of a neat thing. I don't know. I mean, it, it, maybe it was just a Frankenstein story when it was written in 1960-something, and technology has gone to, to such a degree now that we're actually starting to get to a place where we think that might be doable. And certainly it's something that, that does need to be... I don't want to say needs to be feared, but I mean, there needs to be concern. 
maybe this should have been earlier, but there are basically two schools of thought in Silicon Valley. There's there's or, or around technology. There's Kurzweil who says this is all going to be awesome. And then there's a guy named Bill Joy who used to be part of Sun Microsystems who says this is all going to be terrible and we should stop it. Talking about artificial intelligence, not even mm-hmm. just you know uploading ourselves. My favorite guy is actually a wonderful science fiction author named Werner Vinge who stands right in the middle and says, you know, this could be really awesome or really terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. – I, I guess that's – I mean if we're talking about the question of artificial intelligence or machine intelligence or uploading ourselves – I would have to say that that message definitely bears examination. It continues to, but we have to go ahead and leave the jury out for the time being. Well, it's, and here's the thing. Yeah, I, I think Kirk in this episode is – he's not necessarily saying the technology is bad or the technology is wrong. But when he goes through that litany of names and he says, remember Hitler, remember Stalin – what he's coming down on is the idea of using this technology as a form of eugenics. Yeah, that's you know, true. To, you know, to, to wipe out undesirables and then create a new race of perfected <laughs> oh creatures, God. you know? And I've got, I, I think that's that's pretty obviously a message we want to stand behind. I've got, and I've got <laughs> Corbyitis because all I was thinking about was, yeah, how do we get to immortality? I, told, I, I almost <laughs> forgot about the part where, oh, yeah, and – even though I mentioned it earlier, the part where we're going to take jealousy and hate and all that stuff out, because, yeah, you're right. That's uh, did, so again, did, we, did I mention we, it's a very rich episode full of many things to consider? Well, just like Star Trek tells us a lot, we need those positive and negative elements to make up our humanity. So, <laughs> so you know, you start to program that out. Right. Well, you're missing out to make up yeah. our humanity, whatever our humanity happens to look like in the future. There you go. Remember, guys, you can hit us up on Twitter with the screen name at Mission Log Pod or by email, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And hey, leave us a voicemail. Tell us what you thought. On Skype, we are Mission Log Pod, or you can give us a call, 323 522 5641. And remember, your comments could be used on a future episode of Mission Log. Next week, it's Earth, but it's not Earth. But oh man, the place is just overrun with a bunch of kids. Get out of my yard. It's Miri, next time on the Mission Log. Until then, please keep your android armies under control. This is the one where people are going to say, I am insane. (laughs) That's great. Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Would it be too much to say this episode was, rucked, up, and transmission? Now leaving Nerdist.com.